Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. I host the Hoffman Show three to six each and every day on the Team 980. If you want to check out the radio show anytime, anywhere on the free Odyssey app, Logan frequently a guest there. And uh, of course, you can check out Logan on Command Center. But you know his resume is a little more impressive. Played ten years in the NFL. If you don't know, six of them in Washington. And Logan, today, today we go through in the top five uh, storylines of the offseason. So typically our Friday podcast has been a preview of the upcoming game because of events, uh, specifically games that did not go (laughs) great. We don't have a game for the commanders to preview this weekend. So instead, we'll go our top five storylines of the offseason, which I have in no particular order. Uh, The ownership situation, which has... Potential football ramifications. It's certainly, sure. I, th- I feel like it's having them right now more than Yeah, I think right now that. is the thing. Yeah. Um, quarterback and offensive coordinator, which are almost tied together on some level, uh, offensive line. And then what do they do with Deron Payne? There's some other guys that are also interesting and worth talking about potential extensions, et cetera. Uh, Cam Curl, Montez Sweat. It's uh, those guys who could be up next year or who are up next year. So there's a lot to get into as well. Some honorable mention storylines. That we'll get to by the end of the podcast. But Logan, let's start with the ownership situation. Uh, conventional wisdom right now, based off of the best reporting that's been done by ESPN, the Washington Post, and others, is that Dan Snyder is indeed moving forward with selling the club. That I think Sportico had it that there's like eight billion dollar almost offers. Like the number, the number. Actually, JP had some of that. That the, the numbers are north of seven billion. Wow. So if that's if that's the case. He's selling. Mm-hmm. What impact does that have on the franchise? Also knowing, like one, the sale in general, uh, but two, the timing of it, where the, the again, conventional wisdom is the earliest it will be finalized is late March at the owner's meetings, which is, of course, after the priority free agent period. 
Yeah, well, obviously, you know more about the implications with regards to like the stadium and like the logistics of like a new practice field and all those things which have been kind of pending. Right. Are now like kind of a limbo because of Dan, because of all that stuff. And you can talk about that stuff from like an off season perspective. If they're not going to be done till March, like you're not changing too much. You're not changing GMs. You're not changing coaches. You are kind of dialed in with what you got. And so I think it also limits what what Ron can comfortably do in terms of turning over the staff, because, again, he'll probably get next year to kind of prove to the new owner that, hey, I'm your guy or you know, kind of say or, or let the owner make the decision that Ron's not the right guy. So it makes it challenging, I think, and everyone's talked about this to kind of bring in an OC of like super high ilk because they want to be a guy who's going to be somewhere and can install their offense. Like I've talked to numerous offensive coordinators and they always say it takes about three years for the the guys to learn an offense. You know, that's because of teaching and learning and evolution of offense and finding what guys do well, but it's also because there's lots of turnover on the roster. So Lots of variables there, but I think you are limited now. You kind of say we got to find a guy who's willing to do a year, and we've talked about that in the last show. Um, and so we'll I think talk about it again of, in a few minutes. So yeah, and so that's kind of like the um, to me to me the biggest restriction. You're not going to make any big personnel changes because if you change front office stuff, you're not going to be ready for the draft, right? If you change the coordinator, they got to be ready to be here for only a year. So that to me is all kind of the football stuff associated with. Um, with ownership. And also the other thing that you're kind of, you're kind of hampered by is you are going to have a hard time making any kind of big moves in free agency. You know, let's say you want to go out and sign a, you know, a, a premier guard in free agency. That's going to be challenging because Dan's focus seemingly will be on something else, which is selling the team. Right. The hope is that by free agency, we would know who the owner is. And it's just got to, it, like, what's happening at the end of March is a formal vote, right? right. Like, what, what's, what's happening then is the finishing of the process, not a vote on, okay, we have four bids, who is the owner going to be? If we're still there in March, then that's, that's not good from the free agency standpoint, because right. then you're talking about exactly what you're, you're talking about in terms of the money, whatever. But if, and I'll just use Jeff Bezos, because he's seen as the favorite, and he's the most cash, you know, rich. cash rich. If if we know Bezos is getting the team by March 1st, he can get on the, there's nothing stopping him as far as I know from getting on the phone with Ron Rivera saying, hey buddy, don't worry about it. Like Dan's going to get his money, you know, back. Uh, I will pony up. The player's going to get his money. Mm. Be aggressive, right? right? That could be a conversation that's had. It's just not as easy when the guy's not in place. And generally speaking, in business, and this speaks across all businesses, when you're selling, you don't want to make major investments because the new ownership has to then pay for those things. It decreases the value of your business. And so there is an element here of just straight economics that says, yeah, there's probably going to be some limits in free agency. With that said, in a salary cap league where there's also a salary floor, you have to spend a certain amount of money. So Washington's not just going to not spend money at all. Um, And I do think that they will largely do business as general um, or as, as normal. And that's ultimately a good thing. The thing that I think is concerning though, Logan, uh, well here, if you want to follow up on that real quick, and then I have kind of a bigger picture philosophical thing 
Um, it's actually out of a book that I'm reading that I think is interesting and very much applies to Washington. So the other thing I want to ask you is what's the cap number going into this offseason? I know we just had that up. We were talking about it, and I don't want to misquote myself, but I remember them being relatively cash tight um, compared to other teams in the league. Um, and I just want to make sure that I'm remembering that correctly. So as of right now, they are a league average in cap space. Um, they're, and the way I'm using Spotrack for this, which is a phenomenal website over the cap is also good. I happen to be a Spotrack guy. Uh, Michael from Spotrack has been on the show. He's great. Shout out, Michael. Uh, we should actually have him on the podcast. Uh, but They've got 12.5 million in cap space, which puts them, they're dead league average. Their league average is, is 12,519,000. They're at 12,539,000. Of course, that's their top 51. And I don't know if that includes like Carson's number, for instance. So they have mechanisms to create space. Uh, and I think that's something that is obviously like, yeah, I don't believe that includes Carson's number. Cause now I'm looking at, at Spotrack's like 23, like 2023 list of free agents and Carson's not on there because mm. technically Carson has two more years on his deal. Mm-hmm. However, they can cut him at no dead cap money and create $26 right. million in cap space. Right. So uh, yeah, that's always important to kind of contextualize, especially when we start talking about pain and stuff. Um, because you, you need cash to make these moves. And so like, just as an example, like this is to put this in context, like let's say you wanted to give Payne $12 million a year, which probably is going to be cheap for what he's going to ask. I'm thinking he's probably in like that yeah, 14 to 15, maybe 16, 17. It depends on what the market holds, but he's going to want a lot of money. So you need to make sure that this year it's cleared up so he can get that. Obviously you can prorate stuff and signing bonuses. You can do a little bit of cap magic. But this first year, it's going to be a big cap hit. So right now, to sign him, they don't even have enough cash on hand to like get this deal done, right? So, and again, they can prorate stuff. They can move stuff around. They, I've seen guys work cap magic, but something needs to happen here in the offseason. And some of those decisions are challenging, you know, especially with ownership thinking about other stuff. So again, it, it might just be, I don't think it's prohibitive of anything getting done, but it does put like a, um, you know, a restrictor on how quickly things can get done and kind of mucks up the process, which, you know, is usually, Hey, Ron calls Dan, Dan says, you know, Hey, we're, we're going to cut, we're going to cut Carson. We're going to restructure Curtis, blah, 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 blah. And he's like, go ahead, do it. Now Dan's got other things to worry about and how, how easy is that process going to be over the next couple of months? Um, I, I think, I think yeah. it's just something to keep in, in, in your mind somewhere, like how affect, how much is it going to affect? I have no idea. Is it a factor? Yes. Yeah, it's looming in the background. I just I just double checked on Carson. Yeah, they they save twenty six million dollars right. by cutting him instantly, and there's right. no dead cap this year. Right. There's no dead cap next year. So you know, getting getting the cash on hand. I mean, there it is. There's your cash on hand to sign Deron right. Payne. Um, and often in the first year of deals, you see like Landon Collins was is when they signed him here, they did this. He had a one million dollar base salary his first year because the signing bonus gets prorated. Now we're getting super nerdy, but this is a podcast. This is this is the space to do it right. So if someone has, let's say they sign what's ultimately a five-year deal with a $60 million signing bonus, mm-hmm. uh, that's what, 15 uh, or no, four-year. I don't know why let's you pick those numbers. Because I, I, I was trying to make easy numbers. <laughs> I, I'm going to do four-year 60 million because that's, that's $15 million a year. This is what happens when I try to do math. So four-year $60 million signing bonus, right? Um, and whatever the base salary is, that $15 million a year is part of their cap hit every year of the deal. Every year. So right. if you sign someone to a one, 
like a four-year deal. And in the first year, they have a base salary of $1 million and a $60 million signing bonus. Then their cap hit is 17 million, or what I say, uh, 15 million, 16, 16 million, million dollars. 16, 15 plus one is 16, Logan, 16. Uh, $16 million cap hit that first year. They don't really care about that base salary because they just got $60 million in cash. Right. Uh, minus the taxes, whatever, but they get the signing bonus up front. It just is cap math. It's spaced right. out. So they're right. like, yeah, I don't care that I, I'm making a million dollars this year because I got $61 million uh, in the bank. And so that's something like Tom Brady used to do all the time. He used to take a huge signing bonus over a five-year deal, which he wasn't going to play out anyway. So, But he gets all that money guaranteed. He plays three years. They restructure, same type right. of thing. So they could definitely do something like that with Deron. And that's another thing that like you can give him more guaranteed money with a structure like that, save yourself some cap. But I think that's interesting when you see that $26 million for Carson, it becomes almost like obvious, like a necessity that at a minimum they restructure and they're probably not, you know, they probably are He's not coming on. back. Like, I don't well, even I think mean, we need to tiptoe around. I, I think, I think he, I, in Martin's press conference, I feel like they were kind of like, they were it, it didn't seem like they were complete like the door was like open a little bit just the wording i have to i have to look at it again but i remember thinking like that's weird why didn't you just say like yeah you know we've, we've talked i think they're trying to be nice to a guy who was a model teammate and had a bad rep in terms of his his teammate like citizenship if you will mm. and i think they're trying to do right by him as a human being because he deserves it because he was a good soldier all year in a really tough year and they don't like there's no need to beat up on carson anymore he was bad like okay we can we get it everyone saw it I don't think there's a reason to to go beyond that. There's no way he's coming back. The one I did have a caller the other day suggest Frank Reich as a potential OC, and then they could they could salvage Carson. I was like, oh my god, if Ron thinks this year was tough in the media, wait till he does that. Um, but <laughs> on on the bigger front, um, it's kind of the responsibility of a team president or an owner to have a long-term vision for the franchise, right? Mm. And so the, I mentioned the book, one of the books I'm reading is this book, Soccernomics. So this is, you know, mm. more in global global football, global soccer. Um, and what happens in the transfer market there is, which is a very different marketplace than the NFL, but you have player, like these big clubs that sign players from other smaller clubs and they're very impatient and there's a ton of money involved, both both for the actual transfer because you pay a transfer fee. Like imagine if mm. to sign, right. you know, another team's free agent, trade. you had to yeah. you had to pay a fee because um, they weren't actually a free agent. Um, but you could just take another team's player if you agreed on a number, and that's how it works. So you pay massive amounts of money in transfer fees, and then you have to give that guy a new contract, which is big. And typically you're making acquisitions because your team's not where you want it to be. So the manager's in trouble, manager gets fired, the manager was super aggressive. So now because they wanted to swing the other way, they hire a manager who's the opposite playing style, but you just spent all this money on players that play the aggressive style. And there's just like this cycle of hell that teams get stuck in. And one of the things that's helped a lot of clubs is they've hired like a director of football or whatever, technical director, they call it different things in different clubs. And it's like, okay, at Club X, we play this style. And mm. even if we fire the manager, we're going to have the right players and we just need someone to coach them differently or better. Mm. But we're gonna always be a pressing team, attacking, whatever, right? Right. And where I think that has some, some place in this discussion with, an American football team and a salary cap system and a closed market uh, is 
the fact that Washington is going into this year where Ron Rivera is both the primary decision maker with the be- with like the biggest long-term focus on everything mm-hmm. and a head coach who's kind of seen as a lame duck. Right. And like typically lame duck coaches try to do something big to save their job and uh you know the the owner's job is to kind of go like hey actually we're not going to do that because I am I'm not committed to you long term. Mm-hmm. And it really screws the coach. Um to be honest, and it's not fair to anyone necessarily, but also it's the owner doing their job. And if they select the right player, it can be great. Um, if it's the wrong player, um, you know, this one's always tough to talk about now, but like, it's what happened to Jay with Dwayne Haskins. Mm. Like Jay was on his way out. Dan was like, I don't care that you need a player right now in the first round. I want that kid to be my franchise quarterback. They draft mm. Haskins and it, it doesn't work out in any particular way. Uh, and then obviously uh, we, we lost Dwayne tragically years later completely unrelated to that or you know, completely unrelated to that decision but the idea that ron might want to do something big at quarterback or do something big in general and the owner is not really in a position to say yes or no because he also is not here for the long term right. is kind of a weird thing that is looming over this franchise right with that said and this is where i am very curious what you think as someone who knows ron far better than i do is ron has almost a blind optimism. Mm -hmm. I don't think Ron sees himself as a lame duck. I think he's like, I'm one year away. If we can make a couple of moves, we're headed in the right direction. Our guys are playing better. A new owner's going to come in and love me because we're going to be winning. And in a way, that's actually a good thing for the franchise's health long-term. Yeah, I do think Ron is optimistic, but I think there are reasons to be optimistic. And I know like I get crushed for being like very optimistic towards the team, but I think if you step back and objectively look at it, I think like there are some pieces here to be very, very excited about. And some things that if you again, if this offseason goes well and you make good personnel decisions with regards to um specifically the draft and free agency, like you are not far. You are probably two offensive linemen in a corner away from being really 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 good like that and that's a that's a great proposition to be three players away at you know positions that are you know corners obviously a very high value position tackles a very high value position but guard is a very low value position you can find one in free agency there's going to be some in the draft this year centers another position they've talked about again those are low value positions so you can get the best guy if you want and not break the bank in those situations if you wanted to go the free agency route so I, i do think i don't disagree that they're not far off like so for example like let's say you improve on the offensive line you get a coordinator that that abides by this principle that they're trying to to engage in of, of kind of this run first philosophy play action pass all that kind of stuff like that is what the seattle seahawks were the first time russell wilson went to the super bowl they have a rookie quarterback they can spend a lot of money and i think if you look at where ron's at with howell you know, just in kind of the general whispers around the building. I think he's very optimistic, and I think he should be very optimistic, right? Like, I was talking to someone in the media department yesterday who said Taylor Heineke was talking about Sam Howell starting since week five. You know, so obviously, like, there's very optimistic, from a guy who's competing with him, that's a very optimistic take. So I think there are reasons to be like, if you're Ron, like, yeah, we're going to be good next year. We're going to be really good next year. And I, like I said, they're, if they're not far off. So... Right. I, with regards to the owner, like I understand why Ron feels that way. I understand why where, where there's that belief. It's just about like you got to make three good decisions at a personnel, like three really good decisions, and you got to make a good hire. And so, do you have confidence that this staff can do that? From a personnel standpoint, 
I think you should be very confident because they seem to be over the last two years pretty good. Obviously, their hit rate's not 100, but in the draft specifically, they found some fantastic pieces. So yeah, they've drafted well. The free agency stuff's been a mess. It's been and free agency. So let's. This is again a little bit of an aside, but free agency historically, specifically with corners, is very like the hit rates. Like right, yeah, terrible. their hit rates not necessarily any worse than like right. league average, yeah. but they've also chosen to address in free agency certain holes in free agency right. and done really poorly with it. Like it's okay to like O line is is also sometimes hard in free agency. They really screwed up with with Turner and Norwell last right. year, um, and it was compounded by bad luck. Like Turner, Turner was all right the second half of the season. Um, right. It's just his he was a mess in early because he got hurt and was out of condition and right. that whole I deal. Agree. Norwell was very up and down. Um, but I felt like was, Norwell. Like that's the thing about it is like even Norwell had flashes where he played really well, and it's like right. those are guys, those are pieces. Offensive line specifically is a piece that I think is very affected by your offensive approach and philosophy. Right. And I felt like early in the year, they kind of had to find something that fit to those guys' skill set, right? So I think that's part of it. But, you know, when you're the team president, when you're making these decisions, like, you got to hit, like, in the draft this year, like, they better make some... And the reason we're talking about the draft, and we'll talk about O-line here more in a second, is because this is a kind of a down year, free agency-wise, for offensive line. So it's kind of... I don't want to say it has to be the draft, because there are some guys I like in free agency, but... Something to think about. Anyway, we got totally, I don't even remember what we were talking about now. Uh, we were talking about ownership and the effect and the general thought of right. like uh, a philosophical thing for the team. But I will say this on the on the philosophical thing um, to wrap up this this segment before we move on to, you know, you say three players away. There's also the quarterback position. We need to, we need to talk yeah. about that, which is yeah, a yeah, pretty significant do. thing. Three um, non-quarterback positions. Though. Yeah. Um, but it seems like part of the problem that they had this year was you had personnel and offensive coordinator that suggested you'd be like this big explosive offense with a lot of downfield passing which suggests a lot of drop back etc and then you had a head coach who is actually in charge of the personnel department who was like actually we're gonna now run the ball in the middle of the year um and but it, it was it's the just right like, call though it no was it was the right, the right call. call but it, yeah. like it, it's just it's weird because they it's like they tried to have it both ways. No, Ron's like, I wanted to run the ball the whole time. And it's like, did you, when you drafted a wide receiver in the first round and signed Carson Wentz? Can we talk um, about that for a second? Like, I think that like with, with skill position guys, I think you can never, you always want to be skill position guy rich, even when you are a, I don't like, disagree with that. Team. And so, by like, the way, just real quick, like they, they could have utilized those guys way better if they had gone to the play action stuff that like right. we've all been talking about. Correct. Correct. I agree. Like I'm not even going to elaborate. Like I just flat okay. agree with that. So, yeah. yeah. So I I do think people sometimes get a little back and forth on that, a little sideways on that. But yeah. generally speaking, like, do you have, do you draft cer even certain kind of linemen? Like, oh, we want really mobile linemen, and then you you know the coach yeah, is gone next year, and you got a coach who wants to run in a phone booth. Like, yeah. so there's there's kind of a philosophical consistency that you're in a dangerous spot as a franchise because transition is hard yeah. and those little things matter so yeah. without an owner over the top not that dan was someone who was real locked in on football based off of his entire history um on those types of things um but without an owner in place to kind of have some idea of what he might want to do long term it is an interesting thing to watch and how they build this team uh this offseason
Take a Man podcast from Odyssey Sports. Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson here with you. Uh, so that brings us to quarterback, which brings us to offensive coordinator. Which one do you want yeah. to do first? Um, I guess, I mean, they're, they're probably, they're like connected in this weird, like snake eating its own tail type thing. So I'm sure we're going to talk about both. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Simultaneously. Yeah. So I got to pick I'll a graphic just, though. Do we want to go offensive coordinator quarterback? Let's go. Let's go offensive coordinator. All right. What do they do as off or at offensive coordinator? And that's, you know, that really is a huge question in terms of what yep. we we're just talking about philosophically. Do they want to be a team that runs something similar to what they did last year, but better? And also, you know, we talk about the quarterback stuff. Like, um, I've kind of thrown out Cliff, Cliff Kingsbury as like this profile of former head coach that could actually be interested in a one-year job kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But also, if Sam Howell is your quarterback, a guy who did a lot of RPO stuff in college, do you want someone like a Cliff Kingsbury who runs a very RPO system? Do you yeah. want someone more from, like we've talked about, the Tennessee-Atlanta tree that's outside zone. Uh, that way you get a lot of run, a lot of play action off of it and insulate your quarterback that way. Like there's so many different directions that you could convince yourself could work. And also I think then you get into the profile of, do you want someone with experience? Do you want someone who's like a fresh new mind? What kind of staff are they going to be able to hire? Like, are you hiring someone that's coming in and inheriting the rest of the staff that Scott Turner leaves behind? Um, also there's now reports that Kenny Zampezi could be in the mix here uh, as the OC and like, what kind of offense does he run? Uh, is it that same like Norv Turner system just tweaked and, and perhaps called better um is that just all you want so there's a lot to to chew on here even before you get to who's who's going to be operating it as the quarterback so i think there's this tendency amongst fans and amongst analysts me, me included to kind of say oh whoa where are they going to go what's going to happen i think you got to look at what ron has historically done i think he's going to find somebody that he's worked with before that he's comfortable with that knows this system. And I think one of the reasons the knowing of the system is so important is because there's this year parameter um, going into 2023. It's a year. So you don't want to install a whole new offense. You don't want to have that yoke around your neck. Because like I said before, even really good OCs, Kyle, Sean, Matt LaFleur, Mike McDaniels, when I talked to him in San Francisco, three years to learn and actualize an offense. You don't have three years, you have a year. So you have this offense and you need someone who knows this offense and that someone has run, run has worked with before that understands the terminology, the verbiage, and understands Ron's philosophy. All of a sudden, that list gets really short. You know, none of these kind of big name guys are, are on the table because they got, they're going to come out and want to run their own offense. They're not going to learn someone else's offense, right? Right. So all your West Coast guys are out. Yeah, right. All the guys in Atlanta, all the guys in Tennessee, right? This is a Ron has always been a gap scheme run guy. Like he's going to get a coach, a coordinator, run game coordinator who is a gap scheme run guy, right? So the, the the name that pops out to me is Shula up in Buffalo. Like that one has been thrown around a little bit. And I think he's worked with him before. He knows this system. I do like the fact that he's been with a winning organization, an organization that, um, <clears throat> you know, is working with Josh Allen, has brought a quarterback along. There's been quarterback development there. Um we saw what a Buffalo staffer can do in New York. I'm not saying it's a one-to-one, -one, but I think like having that experience brings credibility, brings viability. The problem is like he can't interview till they're out of the playoffs, right? Well, right. Um, because I was just trying to think like they they didn't get the one seed, and so because of that, they are those coaches. Uh, there's there's got some window somewhere. Um, so I think. 
I mean, so I think it me, depends. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe it's only if they go to the Super Bowl the week between, like the off oh, week. Right. Number one seed coaches, I think, can interview this week. Like I know Kansas City's got a couple of guys that are interviewing, uh, like Steichen from Philly is interviewing. Right. But I think you're right. It's either out of the playoffs or until you have like a week where you're not playing. Right. So I look at that and I say, like that to me seems like the most natural fit. But obviously, again, you're limited by time. But if if you're pretty confident, like I'm sure Ron's got his number. They talk and they say, "Are you interested?" And you can kind of start planning around it. But I, and that's one name. Ron's been in the league for a long time. He knows a lot of people. So does Norv, right? That tree is not as prolific as it once was, but it's still around, right? So Ken, someone there, that's Shula's the, the, the big name that comes to mind. I'm sure there's others. And I got to do some research before our next pod to find some other names that fit that criteria. But that is what I'm looking at. And obviously Zampezi fits that uh, by criteria by default, but I do think you want to bring something new partially because of all the feedback Ron was getting from the players about a lack of confidence in offensive philosophy. So I just think bringing in a new voice, new perspective will help with that a little bit. And um, even if it's the same stuff, it's just a, it's a, it's a, just a different perspective, different voice. And I think that to me, that seems like the right decision. It's just about kind of in that very narrow window of the available candidates that fit that criteria, who's it going to be? Yeah. Um, what are they, how similar is the system they run in Cleveland? That's a really good, that's a really compelling thing. So that is actually, from what I understand, he is a West Coast tree guy. He's like a Kyle tree guy. Now they get to their outside zone stuff differently because Bill Callahan is the run game coordinator. So there's mm -hmm. a, there's a heavy influence of Bill Callahan with like that pin pull stuff. They do run some outside zone. They're really good at it actually. So like, and then they do a lot of duo and kind of gap scheme stuff as as opposed to tight zone. They're more like this. They're, they're outside zone and gap scheme as opposed to outside zone and tight zone. Right. So one of the names that's come up um, in the last 36 hours, just kind of kicking around names that'll probably get hired somewhere. Um, right. But talking to Robert Mays on the radio show the other day, um, and also this guy's interesting as we transition a little bit to the quarterback conversation, is Drew Petzing. He's the quarterback's coach in Cleveland, a former okay. tight ends coach as well. Um, so okay. he's got a little bit of expanded knowledge. Uh, he's gotten had some interviews last year. But for OC. For, yeah, so talking, uh, talking about him is interesting because what if Jacoby Brissett is one of the quarterbacks you're right. looking at, right? right? And so that's another impact on this OC conversation is like, who is the quarterback that's actually at the helm next year? And if you're going into the season with Howell as your default QB one, like, yeah, getting someone who getting Zampezi who worked with him closely seems like a good idea. Um, that relationship has a lot of value and, and not having Sam learn another offense. But there's also the thought, like if all of a sudden you decide after you do all your, your season review stuff that your new quarterback is going to come from college, then Right. You know, there's maybe a little bit more expansive uh, of an OC search because you are going to teach the quarter. Now, now, of course, that's only one player, right? Terry right. and Curtis and, you know, your O-line, whoever doesn't have to learn a new offense. It's just your quarterback. Um, but that is something to consider. And if you were to go with a guy like Petzing, let's say, and you bring in Brissett where your quarterback at the very least knows the offense. And by the way, they operated at a top 10 efficiency level with Brissett at quarterback this year, which is nuts um mostly by running the football with nick chubb but right. like they operated at a really high efficiency level um then that could be a really interesting choice where you bring in a veteran like Brissett, you let him battle with howl and basically when howl's better than Brissett, he's 
a pretty solid NFL starter and you roll with Sam from there. Yeah. I think that's, I actually would love that fit here. Like that type of guy, someone from a, again, we mentioned Cleveland in addition to Atlanta and to um, Tennessee, Tennessee, right? Like, cause they are kind of that same philosophy. And I think that's what Ron wants to be here. The problem is I'm pretty sure Drew Petzing is going to want to bring his own verbiage and terminology. Now I have been in systems where like in Atlanta, Kyle left the house, they hired Sark to replace him. And Sark had to learn the offense in Kyle's language, right? He had to learn Kyle's offense and call his offense, which is hard for coordinators. Like you need to be really smart. You need to be very dedicated. You need to really push that envelope there. And I'm not sure if I'm a young, talented OC, like, why do I want to deal with that? Right. I want to go to a spot where it's like my show. I can run my offense. I can call it the way I want to call it. Um, and I think that's something that if, uh, some is going to weed away some of these higher quality candidates, I think. Right. Cause they're going to be like, yeah, why do I want to well, deal with I that think, parameter? Yeah. I think you're also kind of already eliminated some of those guys though. Like if Shane Steichen's the number one guy on everyone's list, well, I guess right, Steichen's really more of a head coach, but uh, whoever the quarterback coach is in Philly, I'm forgetting his name. Um, but he's going to be an OC somewhere. He's number one on everybody's like right. hot name list, right? He's right. not coming here because of the right. ownership stuff that we've already talked about. Right, right. No, I think that's that's 100% right. So again, you, it's it's these names are like, I, I'm excited. You know, like anybody from Philly, I think would be great. I think anybody from, like I said, Atlanta, any, anybody from any of these organizations that we've talked about would be great because they, they encapsulate the philosophy that we want. They're going to execute an offense that has been very successful. And hopefully they're offensively innovative enough to kind of evolve to fit the personnel here, right? The problem is that takes time and you don't have time. So you need to kind of that time parameter, I think, is a bigger deal than people want to acknowledge. So that's one reason why I think you want to kind of stay with the same offense as much as you can if you're Ron. So again, it limits, it takes away some, like again, this, this Drew Pettis guy would be great. He'd be a fantastic fit here. I'd be fired up. It's exactly what you're looking for. But the problem is if he comes, he probably needs to bring a new run game coordinator. Like you need the staff overturns. And can you get a good run game coordinator from that same tree, knowing that they're going to be out of here in a year? Like that, you, you, that year parameter is really limiting what you can and cannot do. Even Shula, like, you know, Ron has probably has a great relationship. They've worked together before. Am I leaving a really good situation in Buffalo for not a sure thing in Washington just for a year? It's tough. They're gonna have to. They're gonna have to really kind of sift through some stuff here and try to find the best candidate if they choose to go outside. And that's why I think the Ken Zampezi thing becomes, I don't want to say more viable because I don't. I still don't think that's nothing against Ken Zampezi. I think he's a really smart guy, but I, I just think it. You need to bring in a new voice, and so where is that new voice in the offense? Um, and that, that, that's my kind of thought on that. And it's going to, it's just going to be hard to get guys in. I think. Yeah. On the run game side, Randy Jordan is one of the only holdovers from the previous staff that Ron kept. And I would imagine that Ron would like to keep, uh, keeping Randy Jordan. Uh, and obviously Jennifer King is someone who's a rising star in the, in the league in a lot of ways, um, for what the work that she's done and, and the help that she's given to, to Robinson and Gibson and her reputation is stellar as well. So that's, that's going to be an interesting like mix and match um, sure. on that side of it. Um, I will say this: if I, I I can't get this thought out of my head, it's the rare time where Craig's going to be the optimist. I think that there is a really compelling case to be made for someone who, again, is a bit of an opportunist. But like, if you can yeah. come in, if you can come in with this skill position group, and it really comes down to 
how much do you like your quarterback situation? Which is, as we'll talk about in a second, not not the evo- easiest thing to like here, right? They, they have a fifth-round rookie who played one really good game that's very impressive, high upside, and that's the only quarterback on the roster, and you are not going to be a priority destination for any of the big names that become available. It's just what it is. And you right. don't have, and you don't, and you have a middle of the first round draft pick, right? Yep. So you're not in a good quarterback situation. But if, if Drew Petzing from Cleveland loves Sam Howell in the draft, he's like, man, yep. if I was in charge, we would have taken that dude in the second round, right? Mm-hmm. And you think that kid plus Terry plus Jahan plus Curtis plus Gibson plus Robinson plus the young tight ends, you're like, well, since we're not going to spend a lot of money on quarterback, we like, we got, Buku's a money to spend on O line and a first round draft pick. Right. Like, I think I can make this offense average twenty eight a game. Yeah. Then, even if Ron gets fired, you might be in line to be the next head coach here or somewhere yeah. else. And so, I do think that there is a version of this where someone is going to be like, "There's too much opportunity here." Now, as you said, that list becomes very small if Rivera's right. if Rivera's like, "I need someone who knows the system, knows the verbiage." has maybe worked under, like we should do a, an extensive Google yeah. of who's in the league now that worked under Norv Turner and came out right. of that tree. That list gets small. But well, man, I, 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 don't, I do I don't think disagree. that's intriguing. I don't, I don't disagree that this is a good opportunity, but it's it takes away your top candidates, right? It takes away your yeah. Cliff Kinsbury's. It takes away the dudes from Philly. It takes away those dudes at the top of the list because they're going to get legitimate I don't, not that this, is, this isn't a legitimate coordinator spot, but they're going to get a, three years under a new regime to do what they want to do, right? And that's not what this hot, opportunity affords. So those top guys, I think fans need to just say, are gone, quite frankly. Because, you know, even though this is a very compelling opportunity, especially given all the reasons you said, um, it's going to be someone a little off the beaten path. And I think that path, if I'm Ron, I'm thinking, who do I know that can kind of just keep this on the rails Everyone knows the verbiage. Everyone knows the system and see what happens. So um, that's why I think that, again, I could be completely wrong. He could go go in a complete direction, but then that gets messier for the year transition. And it's like, do you want to get that messy for a a year? Or do you want to kind of say, let's keep it as tight as we can. Let's keep the offense the same. Let's let everybody know the same offense. And let's just try to hit this out of the park with a young quarterback after we upgrade on the offensive line. Right. All right. That brings us to... Bum, ba, da, bum. quarterback mm. who is the commander's QB one and how do they pursue that person in 2023 so I think I really think they're going to give Sam a look is and obviously what is today is Thursday so this is like yeah, it's Thursday days. January 12th mark this down for quarterback prediction one of the <laughs> offseason we should do a montage by you know whenever it is that's the a good idea starts. so I, I, I get the vibe that they're they're want to see what he's got and I think endorsements from guys like Taylor and endorsements from guys like Terry are going to be a big part of that. And it's funny how like all these people who were very quiet about Sam in season are now talking about him a lot in this very grandiose way. So I'm always a little bit dubious about that in terms of information, but I do think that is a good sign. I think it's a good sign that he performed well in the game. Was it perfect? No, but was it good? Yes. And now all his teammates are kind of saying, you know what? We like Sam. We like what he's got. We like his physical tools. Blah, blah, blah. So I think Sam was going to get a shot. If Sam's getting a shot, you need someone else on the roster. That could be Taylor Heineke, right? It could be Jacoby Brissett, who I kind of like a lot. I like um, Jacoby Brissett a lot, a lot. Like an Andy Dalton type guy. Yep. You know, that type of guy. A guy that's good, 
that has been a backup, that can mentor a young kid, help him grow. And then when it's time to transition, they're not going to be making a stink in the media because they know the score and they're going to be pros about it. You're going to pay them a lot to do that. So I think if that, given they, given the, the notion that Sam seems to be the guy today, four days after the season ends, look for a veteran who can win you some games if Sam doesn't develop the way you thought he would develop. It's, it's kind of is my thought. And until I hear something else, like they fell in love with the kid from Stanford, right? The quarterback from Stanford who will be available at 16. Like, I think that's the direction they want to go. To me, first round pick seems a bit silly. Um, unless you look, yeah. Unless I mean, you, like, I'm saying, I, I agree. Yeah. Unless you love, the if kid, you love someone, like, look, there's been quarterbacks that have gone teens, twenties that have been awesome. 30s. And sometimes, Shoot. yeah, I mean, obviously down the list, um, you know, your, your breeze in the second round, I mean, on a different level, your cousins right. and your, your Wilson, um, you know, down the list, uh, obviously Brady was a sixth rounder, one of a kind, but he exists. Um, somehow still in the NFL at the age of 46. He's how he's like 12 years older than you, isn't he? No, no it's crazy. Um, it's, cr- it's crazy. And you retired three years ago after a 10 year NFL career. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Um, anyway, uh, I, the way this stacks up, maybe, I don't know, maybe I've just got super optimistic view of everything right now. I actually kind of like the way their off season sets up if they execute, right? Yeah. Where they can spend low money on quarterback with a Brissett, with a Dalton. We're talking $12 million or less. Have a high upside play in Howe. Um, a solid quarterback in a system which, Lord willing, is insulated. And the yeah. quarterback doesn't have to do a ton. And then you can spend your first round pick on offensive line. You can spend a buku of money on offensive line. And then you can spend your depth stuff on like your depth picks, your second, third rounder on down the list. I guess you don't have a third right now because of the Carson trade, but you you spend that stuff on the corner depth and some of the other stuff that we're talking about. And maybe even you get out ahead of some things. You know, obviously we'll see what they do with pain. We'll talk about that in a second. But Mm. like, can you go ahead and extend Cam Curl now as opposed Mm. to playing the game you did with pain? And then next off season, you're like, oh crap, we have to to sign Sweat and Curl. Um, So there's... There's a lot of stuff that we'll get to uh, as we go here uh, today and and moving forward on some of these cap gymnastics that they they need to do. But the, the, the thing is with this team, they have the resources available to do the things they need to do. They just got to get it yeah. right. And that's, yeah. that's the hardest part is getting it right. But they're also looking at positions that are not as competitive. Like everyone's looking for quarterback because everyone's always looking for quarterback but they don't necessarily have to push quite as hard there where they can push harder at guard. They can push yep. harder at right tackle if they want to kick Cosme inside or you know, at, at both guard spots if they want to obviously bring in someone that Chris Paul is going to need to beat out that's a little bit more established. Right. right? So there, there's these... I actually like how that sets up from that it way. Feels, it feels good. It feels like it's it's a very manageable thing. It feels yeah, very manageable. as manageable as it can be when you are like, oh my God, we don't have a quarterback. Um, right. unless but, you uh, think I, that Sam is your guy, then I guess you do kind of have a quarterback, but uh, yeah, I'm optimistic about Sam. I mean, and we'll see, like it's, it's really early, but like, I think, I think he, the running ability, the, the, the arms talent, if you go out and you say, we are going to turn this offensive line into a top 10 group, that, that becomes a, a much more tenable solution. Definitely. Now, can you get there? It's tough, man. It's it's really hard to get there, you know, in an off season. But teams have done it. 
you know, uh, Kansas City a couple years ago. I think that was 2020 offseason of 20 of 21 going into 21 season. They went out and invested big. They hit on two guys in the draft. And that's been a tough that's been a, like one, two, one, a one B with Philly for the last year and a half. So like you can Is do there it. another Kelsey brother. Yeah, right. That's apparently what I you mean, need on your team. Yeah, it's, uh, seriously, just to get a good old line. Absolutely. So I think, um, it, it, but they got to hit on it. They got to do right. a good job of that. And um, we'll talk about the draft briefly here in a second. But like, there are things there that make you say, okay, they can get there. Um, with that said, all that said, I think we're on the same page. We agree with the plan. Don't spend a lot of money. Compelling case made by Robert Mays with me the other day that Derek Carr would be a really good option. Um, not expensive. at his current, not at his current price, right. but assuming Oakland yeah. or not Oakland Vegas moves right. off of him, um, or was willing to eat some of the salary. If you can get Derek Carr in the 25 to 30 range, does that interest you? I'll buy that. Yeah. 25 to 30. If you can hit him there, like, and everyone says 25 to 30, like think about that. A middle tier quarterback is $40 million. So right. if you can get him $10 million cheaper, I definitely kick the tires on that. Cause if he if you get 2021 Derek Carr, like he's a he's gonna elevate the hell out of this roster, he's gonna elevate the hell of the offensive line. The problem is you're, if you get 2022 Derek Carr or 20 uh or 2019 Derek Carr, like that's bad, right? That's way too expensive, but it's a bargain if you get those other two years in there. Um and I think I think the other thing they need to consider is they need a guy who can learn this offense. Because this offense is like I've Again, I have access to talking to coaches and talking some of the offensive stuff, not everything, but it is a challenging offense to learn in terms of how they call it. So uh, we talked about how I think Carson Wentz in that area struggled more than they thought he would. Mm -hmm. So they need to make sure that guy knows it. And I think that's one of the reasons why you kind of maybe stick with Sam or Taylor because they know the system. They know the verbiage or a guy like uh, because he's learned every offense under the sun. He's been in New England's offense, which is notoriously hard to learn, right? He's been in Cleveland. He's been all over the place. He's been in Indianapolis. So there is a path there where you find a guy who can learn an offense. I think Derek's a smart guy. I think he could probably do it, but that's something else that has to be factored in here. Also. No, the learning curve is something that is, is definitely huge. All right, Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. All right, we've hit quarterback we've hit offensive line we've talked about ownership so final two in our top five and then we'll hit an honorable mention real quick so we'll try to be a little quicker with yep. these logan uh let's go with the offensive line first and we've kind of already talked about it to some extent but yeah. first round pick at 16 you might be able to get the best center or the best guard in the draft i think at that percent. I, I and you might still get the best right tackle in the draft at that at 16 depending on what kind of year it is at tackle I think that seems like a no-brainer. You you always got to see who's on the board. Like you make your board and whoever's at the top of it when you pick, that's the guy you should take. But your yeah. board is also influenced by your needs. Something we'll talk about extensively as we get towards draft time. Hopefully we'll have like a GM, former GM personnel right. guy on to talk about how that comes together. But they have between the cash they're going to create by letting go of Carson and their picks, I think really great opportunities to up upgrade an offensive line that's got some intriguing young pieces on it already. Yeah, I think so too. I think like they'll be picking at 16. So just to throw some names out there, like guys like Paris Johnson, the, uh, the, he's the left tackle for Ohio state. I think he'd be a fantastic fit. He's like 
great athlete, good feet, and he'll probably be there at 16, barring something crazy, right? Um, the other one that's interesting is like Daryl Wright out of Tennessee. He's probably more of a second round guy, probably picking in the middle of the round there. So like, let's say you really fall in love with a corner in the first round, which there, this is a very cornerback heavy draft at the top end. Take the corner in the first, uh, and then like a guy like uh, Darnell Wright or a guy like uh, Dewan Jones, like the other tackle from Ohio State. He's the biggest guy I've ever seen. He's like 6'8", <laughs> So what I'm saying is like there are pieces that you can move around here between those first two picks. But I definitely think this is a, this is a solid year. I think tackles aren't as good as like the high end aren't, aren't as good as they were last year, for example. There's no like Evan Neal or Ikea Kwanu. But there are some guys, some good pieces that you can flush out. Make that pick. It seems really straightforward. Corner, uh, offensive line or offensive line corner. You can rest your head easy at night. You just got to make sure you hit on those picks. And um, and we'll talk more specifically about those talent evaluations. We mentioned free agency, right? Free agency this year is not great for offensive line. A guy that I think is interesting and compelling for a run-first approach is Caleb McGarry in Atlanta. He's graded. He's the highest-graded run-blocking tackle coming out this year in terms of free agency. I think he'd be kind of middle of the road from a money standpoint. I don't know if Atlanta lets him walk given their approach offensively and how well he played for them, but that's someone to kind of keep the antenna up on and keep your eyes out for. So if they make a move like that, then they can hit a guard in the second round. They can hit a guard in the first round. Like you mentioned center. I think there are some good centers this year. I haven't studied them as well, but there are some pieces. So it's, it's there. It's right there for you. You just got to hit it. You just got to <laughs> take that ball and hit it out of the park and trust your evaluations. Right. And, yeah. um, and I think that's going to be interesting because even the guys I mentioned, like, uh, you know, the, the two tackles from Ohio State, let's just take them as an example. Um, Paris is very, very athletic, but he's technically, his hands are not great in terms of punching and pass protection, right? Then you get Duan, uh, Duan Jones, the huge guy, and he does some freaky stuff on film, but you saw some of his tape. What's his been like? Is he elite athlete? Can he function if it's not a run first system? Those are questions that need to be answered. So, trusting your scheme, trusting your evaluations to the scheme. And again, that's where it kind of goes back to the ownership, the vision for the franchise in terms of making that decision about the guy you want to take. Right. Um, with Sam Cosme, yeah. do you have an early lean on tackle versus guard for him? And also, how do you plan for him when he has been hurt every single year? Like, is yeah. that something you have to consider? Yeah, I think it is. I mean, I think every O-lineman, like that's good O-line coaches evaluations they're deep they have good guys that can play across the board that's why swing tackles like lucas are so valuable because you say if, if the tackle gets hurt we're not taking a big drop off so i do think you have to account for that so i don't think it precludes you from drafting a guard i don't think it precludes you from finding a good swing guard in free agency if that's the direction you want to go i think he could be like a brandon sheriff esque type guy obviously you know you have to earn that kind of comparison but I think he is physically gifted enough to do it. So I'm feeling guard. I like him at guard. I think he's a great athlete at guard. I think he did a great job at tackle the last two games. I mean, he did a great job on Micah Parsons. Gave up a couple of pressures, but I think you see his ability and his talent there. Um, so I think it, it maybe depends on who's your best free agent acquisition. Let's say it is Caleb McGarry, just as an example. I'm not saying I've heard anything about that, but just because I like his fit here, then you bump him to guard. And then you have, you know, uh, you, you maybe West Schweitzer, you extend him, Cosme, Caleb McGarry, or then it's, then let's say you draft a guard in the first round, then Cosme stays at tackle. I think right. they want, I think if they had a perfect world, they get him to guard, 
but I think because of the health issues, you still need to pursue, pursue that and shore that up. Yeah. Um, that makes sense to me. All right. Deron Payne flipping sides of the ball. Yeah, Final storyline uh, that we'll tackle in, in depth. I do want to mention uh, some honor- honorable mentions on storylines real quick on the way out, but franchise tag seems inevitable here. And what's happened yeah. with the franchise tag the last couple of years has been interesting because it's gone from a thing that teams hold over players' heads to a thing that players have then, and really their agents have almost weaponized right. is like, no, this is where the negotiation starts. Starts. It's yeah. like, because it used to be, oh, this is terrible because our guy could get hurt. And that's just not the fear anymore because there are so few injuries now that are truly career enders or career changers because we've made major advancements in medicine and rehab. And, you know, if Deron Payne, you know, knock on wood, uh, I'm going to put this on Deron. If a player who signs a franchise tag goes out in week one and has a season-ending injury, he's still going to get paid the next offseason. He's still going to be a free agent and someone's going to pay him a boatload of money. Maybe not quite as much, but a whole lot of money. So now it's like, whatever the franchise tag number is, if you don't hit that or very close to it in the first year of the contract, they'll just take the franchise tag and say, we'll see you next offseason. And and we'll do this again. And you can either franchise us again for an even higher number or we'll hit the open market and, and see what we can get with that fully guaranteed year of money in our bank account. So I do feel like the franchise tag is somewhat inevitable here. I think Payne's going to push for close to what John got. Um, and he's, considering I would, he just, I would imagine he's going to push for more. Yeah. Uh, like to me, that's kind of, again, the start of the negotiation. And considering he had 11 and a half sacks this year, I don't blame him. I don't blame him. And he, um, and he played great. He played great, great against the run. I, he, I think fans need to understand like just how good he played. Like He was probably a top three or four guy in the NFL this year. I'm going to say, just because I went through this exercise with Mays yesterday, because part of what we talked about is they're they're all pro teams. I'm going to say he's like safely top seven, but that is more of a reflection. That is more of a reflection that this was a truly bonkers year at defensive tackle. I mean, you got Dexter Lawrence, you got Quentin Williams, you got Simmons in Tennessee. I mean, Donald is still on, on the planet. Miami. Watkins like, had a ridiculous year. And like those five, obviously Donald got hurt. And then Allen and Payne are kind of the top Jones, seven. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Chris Jones. That's the guy I'm forgetting. Um, kind of sub out, sub out this Donald. Year. Yeah. Yeah. So, so like, but yeah, like there are some really good, but I'm saying like in terms of his production on a down right. to down basis, like it is not like, oh, like these three guys and then Payne. It's like he's in that mix and it's kind of your flavor of the month, depending on what you're looking for, right? right. So, I mean, I, I agree. I think he he would be justified, in my opinion, of asking to be the top defensive play tackle in the NFL. Like, that is kind of where you're at. Obviously, Donald's contract's insane, but, you know, maybe second best, Chris Jones money. Like, so that is going to be really, really interesting because another thing that's important to talk about, like when I talk to my agent, he's like, I don't project the contract for this year. I can I project it for three years from now, like how is he going to be paid? He's going to be like the 10th paid defensive tackle. So right now he's got to be paid number one money. And so I think that's kind of what you're looking at. And I don't think they're going to do that. I mean, that just seems like a ton of money to have invested in one position. Um, So, and obviously if you're on a rookie quarterback deal, you can do stuff like this. Right. So that's advantageous. But I think if, if they're really far apart, again, I'm like, I might be in the minority here, but I'm not opposed to franchising and then looking for a trade partner. Like I'm not opposed. I'm not either. Um, I think they're in a great spot with Payne because they can 
ultimately play out the franchise tag if they want to. Yeah. The one thing that, that would be very stupid is losing him for nothing, um, which is a possibility if you franchise tag him and then try to get cute of, okay, who do we keep between Chase, Montez, and Duran next offseason? Because right. you don't have control over that situation anymore. You can only franchise one of those guys, and it's not right. going to be paying for a second time. So if you were to lose him because you got cute, that seems like terrible asset management, and you are better off just trading him right. this offseason. And it's going to be painful because it makes your football team worse. But you did spend a second rounder on Phil Mathis next year. You did have a bit of a revelation in John Ridgeway uh, that you got lucky on a waiver wire situation where Dallas thought they could sneak him back to the practice squad and you scooped him up and he played really well for you. Um, and it just comes down to like, do you want to like, do you want to stick with the two edge guys moving forward? Or do you want to try this, this priority defensive tackle based right. defense? And I don't, hate that idea i right. think that there's merit potentially to saying let's let's maybe think about doing this game again next year with montez and franchising him and trading him right but we're going to sign Duran to a long-term deal this offseason and roll with the, him moving forward and feel comfortable that a base of Allen, Payne, and young with some other collection of young guys moving forward at the opposite defensive end is is a good enough plan to be an elite defense in this league. Traditionally, you favor the edge guys. Um, and by the yeah. way, Montez is extension eligible. And right. it wouldn't be the worst idea to get out ahead because this is something that, you know, Ben Standig asked this question at the presser the other day and Ron got a little a little miffed by it. But it was like, should you have signed Duran last offseason? And it was like, <laughs> he's like, oh, with the benefit of hindsight? And it's like, yeah, but I mean, who could have seen a yeah. really great ascending player having a career year in a in a contract year who could yeah. possibly like that doesn't require immense foresight and that's what montez right. is right. so that's a, that's an interesting thing um to consider but i do think whether you re-sign him long term or you get a lot for him in a trade we're talking like a first and a third maybe yeah um then then that's a good situation. that would be that would be a huge deal yeah and especially because you gave up that third for carson and i think he played well enough I think he played well enough to warrant that kind of, and that sounds crazy. I know it does, but I think he's played well enough to warrant that. And you just need to get a buyer, right? You just need someone who's mm -hmm. got some some money, got some space. I've heard Atlanta; they have they're the most cap rich team in the NFL. I heard they're interested in them. Like Chicago's also got a ton, and very much is interested. Like kick the tires on that. Be like, hey, what do yeah. you think? And then if they say something crazy, then you say, I like crazy. Let's do that. You know what I mean? So. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, I think that'll be really compelling. I think they want him back. I think they're going to try and get him back. But if, if it doesn't look like they can get him to a long-term deal and it's the franchise thing, you don't want to be screwed with Montez and Chase next year or Montez and Payne next year, excuse me. Right. All right. Last thing, defensive depth overall. This is your honorable mention. We have like 90 seconds before we need to end this podcast because you got to go. Yeah. Um, Kendall Fuller could easily be released uh, and you save about $8 million in cap space. Um, I don't know that you necessarily want to do that, but it seems financially like the right thing to do. So maybe even a restructure there. And even whether he stays or goes, your corner depth is an issue. Cam Curl, uh, he is in the same kind of position Duran was, except for he's got a lot less money this year because he was a seventh rounder, not a first rounder. You could probably extend him, and that's a good thing for your franchise long term. Cole Holcomb's a free agent. You probably need another linebacker. So is David Mayo and John Bostic. Like, definitively you need another linebacker you need right. a body how good that body is is a different situation to pair with Jamin but they do as much as good of a position as they're in defensively they they need to do a few things 
Yeah, they need to. They the the linebacker thing is interesting. I think even like if the FA Obata thing. Did you mention him? Uh, like, no, I didn't. But he's another one that's a free agent. He's interesting because he was super productive this year for like a rotational piece. And so you know, if you are going to do something with Payne, like trade him, like that's someone you need to extend because he's like he played three technique next to Allen, and you didn't lose any kind of pass rush juice. Obviously, the consistency down to down is something that Payne gives you that he doesn't, but. I'm like, that's a, like all those things factor in and it all kind of trickles down from Duran. Like if you don't get the extension done done and he's on the franchise tag, like, or, or you're trying to get an extension done, like it affects those other guys getting their money and how you can allocate resources. So, um, yeah. really compelling stuff for the off season. Yeah. Uh, Bobby McCain could be a cap casualty. Jeremy Reeves is a free agent, obviously core special teamer. You probably want to resign him. Cam Sims is a free agent core special teamer. Although he seems more replaceable as much as he's, he was great. That's not a shot at cam, but just from a financial standpoint, do you go receiver in the draft depth receiver that can play some special teams as well? All right. That's, that's the pod. Uh, we'll see you guys next week on Tuesday, uh, Tuesday, Thursday, release date next week uh youtube it'll be out monday and wednesday afternoon and uh we'll see you then on take command thanks for watching this clip of take command first why don't you why don't you like it it lets other people know that it was good and then they should watch it too and logan we have a new exclusive home for full episodes we do 1067 the fans youtube page go check it out and please subscribe yeah do do what logan said do it very very smart Old man winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice and a good polar vortex. <laughs> Heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, old man winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.